Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Hello, friends. Jack, Flight School O'Brien here, uh, also known as Jack. Still can touch Ned if I get a running start and haven't eaten heavy breakfast. O'Brien, uh, both nicknames that I go by. Inviting you to check out Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties for a weekly basketball conversation with me and my co-host from the Daily Zeitgeist, Miles Gray. We are joined by comedians, writers, podcasters, and fellow NBA fans as we discuss the latest news and events from around the league. Check it out. Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials, and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest toothpaste, secret deodorant, Old Spice deodorant, or Gillette razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Okay, Jinky. Um, so we've we've had some discussions on the topic of if or ifs, and you know what that has, you know what impact that has on 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 a career, and you know if certain things had happened, how would things have potentially turned out? Um, I know that you're a firm believer in the fact that at the end of the day, the record book is what's written down on paper, and not what could have happened if something else um, had not happened. And I think that that's very true for uh, certain golfers. I mean, you know, if we talk about Tiger Woods, um, you know, if he had won, uh, if he had not had the injuries he'd had and, and any of the indiscretions, he may have gone on to win 20 plus majors. But as the record stands, he's got 15. So on that point, um, and one of the if talking points that I thought we should cover was you had a very special relationship with, with Ben Hogan. Um, I think from what, from what I understand, he wasn't uh, the most friendly or inviting human being around. Um, so if you had any of his affection, it was, it was, it was rare. Um, and I know you've got some stories about that. Um, but the first talking point I want to talk about was, like I said, Hogan was, 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 was hard to get through to. And his, um, he had started the Ben Hogan equipment company and he'd made an offer to you to to endorse and play his 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 clubs um, and equipment, and you turned that down at a time where you needed a bit more money. Um, but in hindsight, that offer may have had bigger impacts on your game. And if you had signed with Hogan, what do you think would have happened? Well, first of all, James, uh, let's. Uh put a little bit more emphasis on ifs. Uh, you know, people that have been married and uh, are unhappy and they'd had a girlfriend to choose from and they say, if only I'd chosen the other girl, I'd be happy today. Businesses, if I'd made the right decision, I wouldn't have lost all this amount of money. Uh, if I'd taken the right club at the, the 12th hole at Augusta, as we know that hole has prevented a lot of people from winning. Uh, if that, uh, if this, you know, if is the dreaded word because it's the bottom line in any business that counts. You can't go along and tell me what a great business you had if I'd done that. You look at it, it's the bottom line in life. And talking about Ben Hogan, who I sincerely believe, I mean, I played with a, a man like Tommy Armour, which is almost, I don't know, 70 years ago. I played with Gene Sarazen, uh, sat with Bobby Jones, uh, Many of the great players of the past that are young people today don't realize quite how great they were. But be that as it may, Ben Hogan, having watched him and played with him uh, and watching him use the lousy equipment, a lousy ball, spike marks on the green, fairway mowers not good, green mowers, bunkers not raked like they are today, no prize money, traveling by car, and watching him play golf, I never saw anybody that could hit the ball like he did. 
It was absolutely remarkable. He knew more about the swing than anybody I'd ever met in my life. I met a lot of people that are very knowledgeable, but he's the only man I met that knows a swing from A to Z. A lot know from A to Y. Uh, and I'm going to come back to the, the Fs, but it's important to make you understand how great he was. I hear people talking about the swing, and I hear so much nonsense about the swing. It's quite unbelievable. But now take Hogan. He wins nine major championships in his career. But the war breaks out, and he and Sam Snead and a host of others have got to go to war. So Hogan now doesn't play for five years in majors, and then comes back and has the most dreadful accident, uh, life-threatening accident, and he basically doesn't play in a major championship uh, approximately 32, in his prime, in his prime. Now, everybody, you know, we say, if only he never had that accident. Well, it's unfortunate that he had the accident, but it'll always be remembered that he won nine majors. A lot of people won't even know that he went to Imagine telling Tiger Woods that he had to go to war when he'd won X amount of majors. You know, it's, you can't imagine that. So all these ifs, I mean, if you look at uh, the, 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 the Grand Slam, Sam Snead, he, if only he'd made a par, if only he'd made a bogey in, in, in Pennsylvania to win the US Open. They didn't have scoreboards in those days like now. So he thought he needed a birdie to win the US Open and all he needed was a bogey. So then you go and you're long and you see if Tom Watson had only won the PGA, if Arnold Palmer had only won the PGA, uh, you could go on with all these people that's so close to winning the Grand Slam. There are players today, uh, Rory McIlroy needs it. Yeah, mm -hmm. how about Phil Mickelson? There's a great if. He finished second five times in the US Open. If only he'd won one time, but he never, and so it doesn't go down in the record book as a grand slam. There are so many ifs in this sport. It's unbelievable. And one has got to try and train your mind to realize when you first start. No ifs. No ifs. They don't count. So the first thing I, I did want to ask was maybe you can give a bit of light on, on when you first met Hogan um, and, and how that came about. I played in the U.S. Open, my first U.S. Open ever at Southern Hills in Oklahoma. <clears throat> Very hot. Uh, the rough was the highest rough I'd ever seen in a major. That and uh, in uh, Alabama when we played the PGA there. But I played with him the first six holes. And I was a bit nervous, obviously. And I went on to the first heat. I said, good morning, sir. And I tipped my hat. He said, morning, fella. Uh, and then on the 36th hole, I was lying second to Tommy Bolt at that stage. And I played very well. He said, well played, son. So he said five words, basically, in 36 holes. And somebody said, well, why was he so talkative? He normally doesn't say anything. But I was sitting in the locker room. <clears throat> and his back towards to me. <clears throat> And he tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around and his face was right here against mine. And he said, you're going to be a great player one day, son. And I said, oh, Mr. Hogan, you don't know what that means to me. And then he was going into the locker, into the dining room from the locker room. And he was all dressed and he had his jacket half on his shoulders and half off. And Nicholas always loves the story because Nicholas knows that I hit more balls than any human being ever. And Hogan turned around. And he said, you, you practice hard, son. I wanted to say just as hard as you do. And I just said, yes, sir. And he says, double it. And he walked into the dining room. Now, it's not possible to have doubled what I did. But he was a very unusual man. He then sent one of his representatives to ask me if I'd sign up with the Ben Hogan Company at $2,000 a year. Remember, this is, uh, this is 60 years ago. So if you look at inflation, it's not that bad at the time. It wasn't that bad. But uh, Vivian, my wife, and I were traveling back and forth to South Africa and around the world. We needed money to travel. And that same day, first flight, a man called Jack Hawkins offered me 9000 And I pondered and pondered, and I took the 9000 Did I do the right thing? I don't know. If I'd taken the 2000 I would have probably ended up living in America, having a house next to Hogan, 
and he would have put me under my wing. And with his knowledge, things that I found out that he did at the age of 70, I might have won, not might have, I definitely would have won more majors because I wouldn't have had to do all that exhausting travel with no jets, 40 hours from here to South Africa, no earphones, no TV, with all those children, six children traveling, would have made a big difference in my life. But you can't go back and say if it didn't happen. It was such an honor that Hogan, because he didn't have anybody else, he didn't sign people up, he didn't believe in it at that stage. And what an honor for him to offer me, my goodness me. And I look back in retrospect and say, well, if I'd signed with him, what would have happened? But I've had a wonderful life, a very happy life, great family, great wife, and uh, 165 tournaments, and also to be the only man in the world to win the Grand Slam on both tours. How much more success could I have? Well, I mean, Hogan always spoke, well, the rumor is, is that I mean, he'd found the secret to the swing. Um, you know, he'd, and he never did divulge that information to to anyone. Um, you know, so whether he'd found the secret, and maybe you can shed some light on 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 what you think that secret might have been. But had he, you know, say in his early when he'd signed you up, and he'd spoken in your prime about what may have been the secret, that may have had. You know, it's hard to quantify the impact that that might have had on your game. Well, that's right, and uh, he. Uh... He, he, he did a story in Life magazine where he had the club face very open at the top of the backswing. And uh, he had the great rotation uh, of his left side into the ball. But you see, what he did have was a thing called it. Um, I've only seen about, in my 70 years of playing, about 15 players plus minus that have got it. Now, what is it? I can't describe it. Uh, you watch a man like Lee Trevino. He aims a uh, hundred yards left of the target, and next to Hogan, from tee to green, uh, he was the finest striker of a ball that I saw. Yep. So there's so many different theories, but but Hogan definitely had a secret, and you've got to have a swing that works under pressure. Now it's one thing to play rounds uh, in practice and score low and even go as far as winning a few majors, but you've got to have a swing that's going to work under pressure. And there's certain things in the golf swing that allow you to work under pressure. And uh, I wouldn't like to get into that now. That's a long thing, a long story. But I've learned so much of the swing, you know, having hit more balls and being around all these top players. And um, I've learned so much about the swing. But my goodness me, Hogan... He was the genius of all time. But you're talking about Trevino, if if he'd won the Masters. You know, you can, if Arnold Palmer had won the PGA, there must be 50 ifs that I can give you in my career. There's so many potential ifs. Um, if, you, if you consider how the Augusta Nationals prepared these days and the quality of the greens and the quality of the bunkers um, and just generally golf tournaments, you know, when Hogan was in his prime, uh, there were times where you couldn't, fixed pitch marks on the green um you know now people are tapping down spike marks so had had hogan played in this era what you know if he had played what would he, how many majors would he have won that's a very good point i i remember vividly playing golf when your ball buried in the green you had to play it i remember my brother-in-law bobby verway playing at uh at the, at the the Open, the British Open, and at Birkdale, and he hit his, in the very first hole, he hit his ball, his third wedge shot, and it buried in the green 15 foot from the flag. And he called for a ruling, can I get relief? And the RNA man came out and said, no, you've got to play it. It was buried in the green. He took out his sand wedge, aimed two inches behind, took a big swipe, came out at 100 miles and now hit the flag and went in the hole. From then on, they realized we've got to change that rule. There were some prehistoric rules in golf. If you tipped the sand as you were going back and the backswing and the bunker, it was a two-shot penalty. You hit the ball out of bounds. You had to play three from the tee and yet a man standing next to you, he whiffed the ball and he played two. You hit a great shot and luckily it bounced out of bounds and the other man whiffed the ball and he was better off than you are. So 
thank goodness to the RNA and the USGA and the PGA, they've come to the conclusion they've had to continuously change rules. Think about putting with spike marks on the green. I mean, there were 200 spike marks. They didn't have mowers to cut the green. I mean, the fairways at Augusta were, were terrible. I remember at the 13th hole, uh, I could easily have gone. I played Arnold Palmer in a playoff. And the 13th hole, we were almost even. No, I was still, I was ahead of him at that stage. And I had to lay up. I couldn't go for the green. It was a lousy lie. The greens were slow and roughish, rough. Now you've got greens that are, well, I never dreamt I would ever see a green like that. Hogan never dreamt he would see a green like that. The fairway is impeccable. Not a weed. Bunkers, absolutely raked with a machine. And they the same depth in Timbuktu, in South Africa, Australia, and America. She was, I, I just think the advancements that, that have been made in the game, it's remarkable and it's great. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save 40% site-wide. Get 40% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. What is new today is the ball goes 50 yards further and the clubs, I mean, here I'm 85. If I miss one fairway a day, I'm upset. I couldn't do that in my prime. Golf is so much easier today. It's a joke. I'd love to have seen what would happen if Sam Snead, Lee Trevino, Tom Watson. But do you not do you not no. think that that you know obviously it's easy to look back and you know and say well if these guys had had this this you know technology what they would have done, but the fact that the game was so difficult because of the equipment that Hogan and you know Bobby Jones and those kind of those guys played with, don't you think that that kind of you know 
took them to a level where they had to figure things out because for example the secret you know what whatever whatever hogan's secret was to the game he had to figure it out because he had to understand the swing to on a level that was um that was required of him because the, the equipment was so difficult you had to swing almost perfectly to 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 be able to play exactly i see players today and i see them playing and they're winning golf tournaments and i see three faults in their swing three faults in their swing and yet they continue to win golf tournaments. if you had that three faults when you played with the equipment in the old days you certainly wouldn't be able to win golf tournaments of course they can recover uh you know today some players are geniuses from 50 yards they might not be in the top 50 on the tour at striking the ball i can think of a player on the tour now he's not a, he probably is uh probably the worst player from tee to green on the tour but he's a phenomenal player from 50 yards in so you can get away with it so the short game we must never forget the short game is what wins golf tournaments uh if you you, you talk about at uh, the uh, tournament in Riviera. You talk about Arnold Palmer's tournament. Well, particularly Arnold Palmer's tournament in Orlando, they were talking about the Golf Channel. All they spoke about was the great distance that DeChambre was hitting the ball. <clears throat> I love DeChambre. He's a gentleman. He's a smart, smart, smarter than anybody playing golf today. He's a very, very highly intelligent man. And he's worked out things that are phenomenal. But they spoke about, all they spoke about, the long driving. And there he was playing with Lee Westwood. And Lee Westwood lost by one shot. And he put his ball in a divot on the last hole and couldn't even shoot for the flag. The thing that won the tournament for DeChambre, he putted like Tarzan. They've omitted to say during the tournament, the reason DeChambre won was because he putted like Tarzan. And all they spoke about, well, he was out driving... Westwood by 90 yards. So over the entire week, the way they were talking, you would have thought he would have beaten Westwood by 15 shots. No, he beat him by one shot. And Westwood made a five on a par five with a seven iron in his hand and hitting the ball in a divot on the last hole. Putting is what wins golf tournaments and the great mind, the thing called it. And not many people are blessed with that thing called it. Can I, on, on that point, um, and you can you obviously can speak further to this point, but Hogan was um, an incredible ball striker. I mean, you've got stories of you know what Sam Seed was saying about him hitting the ball in the same divot um, that he played the day before. And uh, I think you mentioned was it Connusti where he was hitting his his drive between the bunker and um, and the out of bounds stake. Um, and you can hopefully you can tell us those stories, um, but. From the books I've read on Hogan, he his putting wasn't his his strength, and in, in his book The Five Fundamentals, apparently he doesn't even talk about putting. Um, how do you think he was so successful uh, without you know on the fact that his putting actually wasn't his strength? No, to the contrary, uh, when he was a young man and playing his best, he was a very good putter. But he got the yips quite early in his career. And he was very much against putting that. He believed that a green, you should hit a green and it should be like a funnel to run into a hole. Well, you know, <clears throat> that's too extreme. But to give you an idea of how well he hit the ball, Carnoustie, which is one of the toughest golf courses in the world, the six holes of par five, is out of bounds on the left and pot bunkers just to the right. And the width of the fairway is probably 25 yards. And he put the ball between the outer bounds and that bunker every day in the tournament. Nobody tried it. They all hit the ball well to the right of the bunker uh, and never even thought about doing that. No, this man, uh, the shots that he played and, and the, the way he swung the club. If, you, if anybody wants to see the greatest swing ever, just get Hogan swinging at the British Open, the Open in 1953. And you'll realize just what an incredible swing he had. And 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 you have a story about Sneed and 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 what you know how Sneed felt about um <laughs> okay. He was always quite, I don't know where it is, where it is jealous or uh, envious or irritated. And I think the word was irritated, because when Sneed and Hogan went met and play, Sneed Sneed always beat him, except Hogan beat him 
at Houston in a, in a match, a TV match. But they said to Steve, you know, Sam, that Ben Hogan hits the ball so straight that he puts his drive in the same divot he was yesterday. He said, well, if he's that straight, why doesn't he hit to the right or the left of the divot? And, uh, you know, it irritated him quite a lot. But, uh, but Sam Sneed was the greatest athlete that ever played golf. And those days, they didn't have gyms that you on the tour where you could conveniently go to after your round of golf. Uh, at 65, he would kick the door in the locker room. He would walk in and touch the, 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 the ground flat-handed. He would uh, he'd be able to take a ball out of a cup. He'd take the ball out of a cup with his legs straight. This man was a piece of rubber, and he was strong. And uh, if it wasn't there again, if it wasn't for the war, he would have definitely won the Grand Slam. Not, not even a question about it. But it's, it's these, the ifs, actually the if equals sad. If equals sad, but it's a reality. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that part of a life? I mean, the, you've got ifs of your own. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there are a lot of ifs. Um, and it is, it is sad because, you know, it would be nice if there weren't any ifs. But things that, you know, regardless of who you are, yeah. what you've done in your life, there will always be an if. Um, that's and right. That's one of the rules of life. If I travel from South Africa to America five, six times a year in those non-jets, and I lived in America, I would have definitely won more majors. Not even a question about it. But uh, I wanted to be with my family, and it was tough traveling. I mean, can you imagine your granny traveling with six children? Yeah, it's, and a taking 40 hours and traveling uh, at 230 miles an hour. So, I mean, there are a lot of ifs. A lot of ifs. I mean, right, that applies. So, and, you know, I think about it all the time, all these ifs that occurred in, in my 70 years as a professional golfer. It's uh, quite remarkable. Um, I wanted to ask, the one thing I found quite interesting about Hogan was how long it took him to actually become uh, a winner. Uh, you know, he 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 took a long time and he struggled. He didn't do particularly well for the first, I don't know, probably decade of his career. And then, you know, once he started winning, he became more prolific. Why, you know, for someone who was so talented and had worked so hard, what do you think? What do you think was the reason that it took him so long to win? And 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 why did it start happening? And why was he then so unbeatable when it did start happening? Well, first of all, he played golf with quite a shut face, um, which some players are doing today, but uh, uh, you've seen throughout time, Arnold Palmer was a shut face golfer, and that's why Arnold only won majors for six years, whereas Nicholas won for 25 years, and I won for 20. Uh, shut face golfers, uh, your career is very, very limited for a length of time. A man like Dustin Johnson, uh, he's a phenomenal golfer, but he's a, he's a, there again, he's completely different. He's very, very strong in the hands, and he is a very, very long backswing. He's tall, so he has time to recover. But uh, most shut place golfers, uh, their golf careers are pretty limited, as we've seen throughout time. Although, today you can get away with it more because of the metal head. And I never have read this in a magazine. The reason you can get away with being shut face today, because of the metal head and because the ball doesn't hook and fade as much. So there's a reason, but you certainly couldn't do that um, with a wooden head. Now, you will be able to get away with it with this equipment that you use today. That's a very significant thing that we've just said right now. Hogan won his first major at 34, whereas now the most, I don't care what, performance you like to give me in sport. There has never been anything that compares to Tiger Woods. I won the Grand Slam at 29, and I said to your granny, nobody will do that at 29 again. Nicholas came along and won it at 26. Tiger came along and won it at 24. There's nothing in sports that compare that. So many players have never, players that have won majors, had never even played in a major at 24. I mean, what he did to do that at 24 years of age, nothing, nothing in sports. And I've got great respect for all men and women that have achieved greatness. Nothing compares to that. So with regards to Hogan, you, you, your feeling is, is that 
the fact that he was struggling with the hooks and the fact that his club face was so shut at the top, do you think that him figuring out, you know, from what I've heard you say before, that his hands had to be under the shaft, um, do you think that him having an open club face and figuring that out allowed him to to play with the consistency that he later became known for? Yes, but he also had extremely, extremely fast hips. You see, I listen to people on giving commentary on golf saying uh, their hips outrace their hands. That's not possible. The faster your hips work, the faster your hands work. Uh, I hear such rubbish. Uh, it's just scary. So, But anyway, Hogan also had a very strong grip, strong left-handed grip, and his swing was too upright. And... Uh, uh, you never be a very you. There are exceptions. You look at Dustin Johnson; he's an exception, and there are exceptions in the sport. Trevino is an exception, uh, aiming way left the way he did and play. There are these exceptions, but you've got to have a flattish swing, uh, which helps you to hit the inside of the ball when you're playing golf instead of the outside. And uh, you, he, what he did, he realized that he flattened his swing. I spoke to him about that. He said to me, "Your swing can't be too flat." as long as your hands are under the shaft. And that's what he said at Seminole Golf Club in 1957 to me. I didn't understand what he was talking about. It sounded like hieroglyphics. I had 70, I suddenly worked out what he was saying. But be that as it may, and this is a game that we'll continue learning forever. Hogan, was he was a strong grip. He was too upright. And uh, he had too much of a C, a C in his swing. That is when you're back and your hips are forward and your back is back. That's the C swing. And he, he changed that to a flatter swing with a weaker grip, which you had to do with the old shafts and wood that we played with. I had a very weak grip. Now with this metal, I have a very strong left-handed grip and I cannot hook the ball. Now, if I did that with, with wood, I would have hit such duck hooks, you wouldn't have believed it. So it's horses for courses. And the most prevalent thing in, uh, is not the prize money. I think the biggest change in golf is uh, being able to travel rapidly. I think the, um, the, pr uh, the prize money, obviously, is just unbelievable. Uh, but the equipment, the lawnmower, as Byron Nelson so appropriately said, the lawnmower, what a difference. Uh, you, can, you see these guys holding putts from all over today. And let me tell you something, that the putters like uh, in our time, Bobby Locke from South Africa was definitely the best putter that ever lived because he putted like Tiger on bad greens. Bob Charles, Doug Ford, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas. You can go down the line, Ben Crenshaw, phenomenal putters. Impossible to be better, impossible to be better. So... When it does adjust, that's the thing. The human being is very resilient. The human being can adjust to things. When I was traveling and traveling with no jets all over the world and having to play against all those players in their home country, that's what I wanted to do. I'll give you an example. I played with Arnold Palmer and Jack Nickers in the World Cup at saint nom le bretèche in France. And the round was fogged out on the Sunday. So the travel agent came and said, look, you're going to the Australian Open at Royal Melbourne. I can now get you there the morning that you're going to be teeing off three hours before the tournament starts. <clears throat> Arnold and Jack said, we're not going. I went. I traveled to Australia from France, 16-hour <clears throat> time change, whatever it is. Arrived there, actually arrived three hours before, had never seen Royal Melbourne. Gave me another set of clubs and another ball. And I hear people being fussy about the ball they use. That just makes me laugh. And uh, I won the Australian Open by seven shots. Incredible. So it just shows you how important the mind is. This is the thing as a young player starting today. The swing is not the thing. Putting is the thing. And the mind is the thing. And as I'm going to be repetitive and say in my 70 years of playing, I've seen plus minus 15 players with the mind that really counts. That mind equals it. Sure. It is it. What is it? Nobody can describe it. No analyst, no psychiatrist, no pro golfer, no wife, no husband. It's a gift 
that is bestowed upon you. And I wish I could describe it. Tom Weistrop, my dear friend, who unfortunately is not that well at this moment, and we wish him the best, he was a better golfer than Jack Nicklaus. But he, and he admitted himself, he just didn't have that little thing called it. He didn't have the mind to go along with his greatness. And although he played unbelievably well, how good would he have been if you'd taken Nicholas's head and put it on Weisskopf? Well, that would have been, there's the big if again, you see? The big if again. <laughs> but that didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you can bring out the most remarkable story with ifs, honestly, it's just uh, fascinating. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for 40% off site-wide at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. So when did you meet Hogan? Um, and my recollection was is that you met him in 1957 at Seminole. Um, and so what can you explain a little bit of the background of, of, of that? that actual meeting before you end up playing with him in the US Open? Well, I watched him practice uh, that week. Uh, I sat behind him, actually. He hit down the, uh, hit down the, uh, the ninth hole. <clears throat> I watched him practice for hours. He never even turned around and acknowledged me. He never said anything. He didn't know me, actually. And then uh, they had a man running the tournament, uh, Chris Dunphy, wonderful man. I remembered at the club Sebra, which is a beautiful golf course, steeped in tradition. And um, Chris Dumphy said to me, who would you like? He liked me and I liked him. And he was very arrogant. And he said to me, who do you want to play with in the tournament? I said, Ben Hogan. He said, you got him. 
And those days, uh, they could do that kind of thing. And I played with him. And we got to the ninth hole. He hadn't said a word to me. Just good morning. That's all. We got to the ninth hole. And there was a long holdup. And um, he said to me, uh, congratulations on your tournament you won last week in England. And I shot at, uh, what a tournament in England. And I shot 70, 64, 64, 68, 70, something like that and beat Bobby Jones's record. And I said, thanks, Mr. Hogan. And I said, but the pros there said I should go back home uh, because my swing was too flat and I'd never make it. And he walked up to me and he put his face right here. And he says, you can't beat too flat, son, as long as your hands are under the shaft. And, I, and then he spoke about other things. I didn't understand what he was saying. And isn't it there again, if only I'd understood I wouldn't have been second in those seven majors. I would have won at least three of those. But it doesn't count. And I have a picture as we're sitting here right now. <clears throat> On my desk. There it is. Ben Hogan. Starting his backswing. And it's quite fascinating. And this was at, at Oakland Hills uh, in Michigan, where he brought the course. Those days, that course was very tough with a wooden clubs and the balls and it was known as one of the tough golf courses on the turn he said he shot 67 and won the open and he said I eventually brought this course to its knees uh, which was a fascinating saying but um, no and then <clears throat> I can remember I shot 73 and I played with him and the shot making he made in that wind was just so remarkable that had a sound when he hit the ball over that it was like taking a sheep and tearing it. Uh, what a golf swing. What a mind. You see, if you look at the minds, when I'm talking about that, it, take Hogan. Take Nicholas. Take Tiger. Just those three, not dwelling into all the other players. They were very different. Their minds were completely different. So far, it was noticeable when they played. Really noticeable. What did they have? I can't tell you. I can't tell you what it is, but it was very, very noticeable. And now can you imagine as we're going now, if I was a young man, I wouldn't be just worrying about the swing as the thing. I'd worry about being the best punter on the tour and I'd work on my mind, but I'd work on my mind with somebody that played, that had been in the arena. That's a big difference to talk about things you've read, but to get and have knowledge from people that have actually been in the arena that's why I valued so much what Hogan said. I had a lot of people wanting to tell me things that had never really been in the arena, but they'd read about it. But when Hogan said something, I digested it. And I, I've got to tell you another great story about Bobby Locke. I was talking about his putting. Now, Bobby Locke came across here. He just played Sam Sneed in South Africa. 22 matches. Sneed won two. They tied two and Locke won 16. So uh, Sneed came back and said to all the guys, you better back this guy, Bobby Locke, when he comes over here. He putts so well, you've never seen anything like it. Well, Bobby Locke came over here and won seven out of 11 tournaments, and then they barred him from playing. But I was a Tamashanta, the last Tamashanta they had. George S. May sponsored it. If you won the tournament in Chicago, you got 50 exhibitions at $1,000 a time, which was like a million dollars at that time. And uh, Lloyd Mangrum, who was another very tough guy, came, very nice man, very tough on the golf course, came up to Locke. He said, hey, Muffin Face. He gave Locke the name Muffin Face because Locke had a fat face. He said, Sam Sneed says, you can play. Would you like to have me a bet this week? Locke says, very quiet. I said, yes, I would. He said, well, I'll have my Cadillac against your Cadillac. Locke said, that's fine. And uh, so they played. And I think Locke beat him by at least 17 shots in the tournament. And Lloyd Magram honored his word, came up and gave him the keys to the car. And Locke used to call me captain. He says, Captain, I'm sure happy I didn't lose that bet because I don't own a Cadillac. <laughs> but the guys bet in those days was remarkable how they bet. That's the way they could make a little bit of money. You look at Sam Sneed and Ben Hogan, two of the six greatest players that ever lived, they didn't even make 
in their entire careers what players make for finishing 10th in two tournaments. That's food for thought. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask the, the, the two stories that I still want you to, to cover, you know, with, with regards to Hogan. The first um, was, was you had a, you had been, I don't know who the, the person you were just having discussion with, but you were arguing a point in the golf swing. And so you gave, you tried to give Hogan a call to, to clarify this point. And um, he was as friendly as ever. <laughs> well, uh, I, uh, Hogan got the needle to me because I didn't sign up with him. And I can understand that, you know, because it was like a, I suppose you can say it was a slap in the face, but it wasn't. I had to, I had to, I had to sign up with somebody else, even though I'm sorry I, I, I might have made a mistake, but I needed the money. I couldn't live without the money being so far away. So anyway, uh, I, know he, I knew his best friend and he was one of my best friends and he said, you phone Hogan at five to eight. He's only mean, he's not very mean. So I was in Brazil and I phoned him at five to eight and I said, Mr. Hogan, good evening. This is Gary Player here. He says, yep. I said, I'd like to uh, ask you a question if I may. I don't believe in giveaway programs. What is that? So I said, Mr. Hogan, we're having a debate about the backswing with a young American friend of mine here. And I'd like to ask you to rectify what is correct. Dead silence on the phone. He, I said, hello, hello. He says, I'm here, I'm here. He says, I want to be real curt with you, fella. I'd never heard the word curt. And I think I did reasonably well at English in school. He said, I want to be real curt with you, fella. He says, who do you represent on the... I said, the, the Dunlop company. He says, call Mr. Dunlop. <laughs> and put the phone down on me. <laughs> they were tough in those days. They were cooking. Whereas now Nick, Nicholas, on the other hand, I played Nicholas in the final of the World Match Play Championship twice in England, a long 36-hole golf course we played, 36 holes. I beat him six and four and five and four. He came up to me, put his arm around me, and he said, well played. Nicholas was the greatest gentleman I ever played with. I also think he's the best designer of golf courses today. And I was on the tee and I was not hitting the ball very well. And he said, why don't you just make your right hand a little weaker? And I went on to play so well and, and actually beat the daylights out of him. That's the kind of man that Nicholas was or is. They were not like that in those other days because there was no prize money and it was a different era. Sure. So there's another if. And then the one, the last story I wanted to ask you about was uh, your experience with Hogan at the Champions Dinner at Augusta. <laughs> well, that that was an experience second to none. We were sitting at the dinner, uh, and we were at the lower locker room in those days, and uh, didn't have a tablecloth and didn't have the ambience of the room that we have now, which is unbelievable, as you know, Augusta is the best run golf tournament in the world. And uh, things are just perfect. Of course, they do have the tournament at the same place every year, which is an advantage to know what to cater for. But we were sitting at a very hard table in the locker room. And I, this was, I, was, I think I was defending champion that year. And this book came around and everybody was signing it. And it came to me and I signed it. And I was sitting next to Hogan and I put it in front of him. And I wish you could have seen the look on his face. And I, I, you know, I don't like swearing. So uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly what he said. It wasn't exactly a swear word, but it wasn't what I'd like to hear. And he looked and he looked and he suddenly stood up and he took this book, slammed it on the table. And he said, who passed this damn book up here? And Horton Smith, who was a thorough gentleman and had won the Masters the first time, stood up and said, Ben, I've got a junior at my club. And I thought it'd be very encouraging for him to get the signatures of the masters. He said, Horton, this is the master's club that I started. This is not a damn autograph session club. Don't you ever send another book up to be signed. And now you look what happens now. We go in the locker room, just the complete opposite. Everybody signing at least 50 flags. Everybody's signing, flags, flags, flags. 
which actually is a nice thing because it goes for the betterment of golf, it goes to charities, and after all, we're so lucky in our lives. Lucky to be playing golf in America, this great country, and to be playing in a tournament like Augusta, and it helps so many, a variety of charities, which is fantastic. So things have changed, things have changed, and change is the price of survival. I always listen to people saying, oh, that, that politician's a flip-flop, or that guy's a flip-flop. Well, I would hope you would be a flip-flop because change is the price of survival. What I believed in as a young man and ideas I had in my career about various subjects have all changed. That's for the betterment of the human being. So it was fascinating. And the dinner there, that and the dinner at the RNA at the British Open, uh, are two of the greatest evenings of your life. Well, I, we can only take your word for that. <laughs> yeah, you unfortunately, you'll never be invited. <laughs> Even with all your talent. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe to the Player Series on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order. Turns out a delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything they make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived and other thoughtfully chosen ingredients, their cleaning products smell like a dream and work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. Goodness, there's no better feeling than that. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Visit MrsMyers.com today. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.